Welcome to Donnacloney Parish Podcast. If you want to know more information about the parish, how to support us, or for other social media, please go to www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk. Thank you. continuing to look at our series of Christ's Heart for Sinners and Sufferers. Uh, just like two weeks ago where we asked the little question, did you love Jesus a little or a lot? Uh, this morning's passage asks the question, what do I have to do to get into heaven? That's a question I get asked from time to time. Uh, what do I do to have to get into heaven? And depending on who you ask, I suppose there's maybe a hundred different answers. Not all of them right, I must say. But some might say, well, uh, you've got to do social justice. You've got to look after the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. You've got to look after them. It's, it's the right thing to do. Others say it's about church attendance. Some might talk about the rituals of the church, you know, baptism and confirmation. Uh, that's what I was told as a teenager. Uh, when I asked my minister what a Christian is, he told me, was I baptized? Uh, that's not the correct answer, by the way. But look, what is the minimum bar that you and I need to do to limp over the line to be a Christian? That's a very honest question, a very old question, because it's the question that this expert in the law asks Jesus. Look at verse 25. One, on one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what's the bar I need to clear to get into heaven? And Jesus says something that's actually shocking. He says, give up. You'll never clear the bar. Give up and trust me instead. Now, obviously, I think that's really, really important for non-Christians to hear, that you can't get into heaven by your own strength. But I also think it's good for Christians to hear because this lawyer, this expert in the law, lives on in the heart of you and me. For example, have you ever thought when you're reading the commandments or the laws of God, have you ever thought that they're just too hard? And there must be a way of just bringing them down slightly so that they're not that shocking. Let's kind of bring them down so that they're easier to do or they don't offend people. Have you ever thought, I'm so obviously below the bar and everyone else at church is above it that I might as well give up on the whole God thing altogether? Well, Jesus knows those feelings and he's going to answer those fears and dilemmas in this parable of the Good Samaritan. So buckle in. Let's listen to a very familiar story again. But this time, what I want you to do is focus on God's compassionate heart. The height of God's standards, the depths of Christ's, Christ's compassion, that's what we're looking at this morning. And I'm hoping this morning that whether you're a Christian or not, that you give up striving altogether. Give up striving and you fall into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust him instead. Let's pray. That's exactly what we would do this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a loving God, that you've sent your son Jesus to show us that apart from him we can do nothing. 
We pray this morning that you would help us to see the depth of Christ's compassion, that we come to him, that we abide in him, and bear much fruit to his glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So verse 25, this expert of the law comes up to Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, as he often does, asks a question straight back again. But he brings this lawyer, this expert in the law, back to his chosen field, his own expertise. Not the law of the land, but the law of God, the Torah. Jesus says, what does the law say? You tell me. Verse 26, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Verse 27, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly right. It's pretty much the same answer that Jesus gave in Matthew 23 or 22, verse 37. And so verse 28, Jesus says, you've answered your own question. Do that and you will live. You want a bar to clear? If you want to do something to inherit eternal life, that's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. No. You'd expect the lawyer to be pleased with himself and to totter off going, happy days. But he asked Jesus a follow-up question. Do you see what it says in verse 29? But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I wonder what you thought he was asking. Well, I think he's looking at the bar of God's love and standards, the bar of God's holiness, and he says it's far too high. Love the Lord with all of me? Love my neighbor with all of me? It's impossible. It's just far too high. So he does what any good high jumper knows to do. If you can't clear the bar, what you do is you lower the bar. And so he thinks, well, let's just see if I can redefine what the law says. So it's a bit easier. So who actually is my neighbor, Jesus? Who is it that I'm expected to love? And he's hoping that Jesus is going to say something like, love your fellow Israelites. That would be tough enough to do. Love the nation of Israel. And you could argue you do it by paying your taxes, by being a good citizen, by devoting charity. You know, I'm loving my neighbors. I'm doing what the law tells me to do. Better still, Jesus could say, your neighbors on your street, love them. See, as long as Jesus says something doable, something this lawyer could just tick off on a little tick chart, that he could say to God, yes, I am loving my neighbors. I have me over the keys to the kingdom. But Jesus says in response, who is your neighbor? Let me tell you a story. So verse 30, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went them away, leaving him half dead. So far, that sounds about right. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho still exists. It's, it, it's about 16 miles long. But in the time of Jesus, it was a very dangerous road through arid, rocky hills, dropping down a 1,000 metres over those 16 miles. In, in the time of Jesus, the road was notorious for its danger and difficulty, it was way, it's known, it was known as the way of blood. 
because of the blood which is often shed there by robbers. And anyone going that way on his own was asking for trouble. So we see here the man is left half dead. But look, verse 31, a minister is coming. Yes, we're saved. Here it is. It's a member of the clergy on his way. He sees him. Jesus shows us that he sees him here. Look, the priest was was going going down the steamer, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. The optics look a bit bad there. But actually, it could be a trap. It could be someone pretending to die. You get off your donkey or you walk over to him. What are you going to do if you find this man alive anyway? Surely it would make you ritually unclean to touch him or go near him. Anyway, you couldn't call anybody else to help you. What are you going to do? Would you have done anything different? Next, verse 32. A temple assistant comes past the Levite, and he sees the man as well and makes the same decision. Too risky. Passing the other side of the road. And then verse 33. But a Samaritan. We hear that and breathe a sigh of relief. Finally, a good man at long last, them ministers are a terrible shower. And we do that because we've read this parable over and over and over again. But probably as Jesus speaks to the crowds here, when they heard the word Samaritan, they would have drawn breath, inwardly gasped, started to rage at Jesus. As far as they were concerned, the only good Samaritan was a dead one. They were the enemies of Israel. Spiritual half-breeds. So the best you'd expect from the Samaritan is that he just followed the priest and the, the Levite. But instead, verse 33, but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now says Jesus to this expert in the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So here's, here's the first of the two points this morning. See the heights of God's standard. See, this lawyer wants to know how he's going to get into eternal life, how he's going to get into heaven. He knows that the law says he must love his neighbor, but he wants to lower the bar. Make neighbor a, a clearly defined, easily sorted category, a, a tick on the tick sheet. He's asking, what would it really look like to keep the law? The smart and says, Jesus, that's what it looks like to keep the law. And as we count through the verbs here, there are 10 verbs that Samaritan does. He saw, he had compassion, pity, he went to him, he bandaged him, he poured oil and wine on his wounds, he put him on a donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him, gave money to the innkeeper, cared for him. So what does the keeping of the law look like? It looks like the Samaritan. It looks like moving towards need, not away from it. It looks like crossing racial barriers, even when it'd be easier to walk away. It, it, it looks like taking care of people, not just their immediate relief, but as long as they need it. 
It looks like loving people, a great personal cost. Can you do that, Mr. Expert in the law? Are you clear on that bar? And who have you got to do it for? Who's your neighbour? Well, Jesus doesn't even answer that question, who is his neighbour? Look at what Jesus says, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So the question is not is, who is my neighbour? It is, to whom can I be a neighbour? Do you see that? And the answer is, anyone who needs it. No matter what race, no matter what relationship to me. Imagine a world where people live like this. It would be beautiful. But actually, it's impossible. I haven't been like the Good Samaritan for a single day of my life. And there's a temptation in me that runs like this. But of course, there's that thing you did for so-and-so. You know that time you helped that person. You're not as bad as that other guy there. And look at all the stuff you do for church. And as I do that, I'm doing exactly what this expert in the law is doing. I'm lowering the bar. I'm turning God's commandments into a series of easy tick boxes. I've done that, tick, I've done that, tick. No, look, what I need to see is that God's standards are 100%. Look at the Good Samaritan, you'll see, you'll never get there. Last December, I took the head staggers and went out for another run. I haven't been running in years. Joel has taken it up now and has been doing far better than I ever could have. It was a 10-kilometer run around Craigavon Lakes a couple of times. Uh, and I set off like Mo Farah. Whoosh! And after a mile and a half, I was done. Had to give up. Now, to be fair, I walked the rest. But you see, when we see a standard that we can't reach, what we should do is give up. Not trying to keep still somehow spiritually competing. And when we see the Good Samaritan at the height of God's standards, what we're supposed to do is give up the game of trying to lessen God's standards. Don't do the game of trying to renegotiate God's standards so that we give up and we fall into the arms of Christ. Perhaps you're watching this this morning, you're not yet a Christian. Yes, you believe in God, but you're not sure to what to make of Jesus. And when you die and meet God, you're hoping to have cleared the bar of morality. Or close enough that you can debate your way and say, well, look, and I've done this and I've done that. Can I say to you this morning in the most respectable way, respectful way possible? Stop. Stop trying to earn your way in. You never will. It's a dead end. The standard is too high. And it's not just non-Christians who need to learn this. We Christians need to learn it as well. See, we all do the same as the lawyer. We try, verse 29, to justify ourselves. Often that's done by comparing ourselves to other. You know? Yes, I know I was angry with the kids, but you should have heard Lisa the other day. We use that illustration that we have Mount Everest and the Mariana Trench, where on Mount Everest, the one can look down and see the other, but which one of them can touch the stars? Neither of them. See, comparing myself to the other doesn't help me when the standard is way up there by the stars. 
And it's actually exhausted to keep comparing and contrasting myself with others. I was chatting to a couple of friends the other day and they both mentioned a book they'd been reading that I'd never heard of. And I find myself feeling jealous, feeling inadequate. I need to read that book because they've got it and they're better Christians and I need to be on the same level as they are. But then I thought, are there many books the other Christian reads? I'm forever reading books. See, it's an endless game of compare and contrast. And it's exhausting. It never finishes. And nothing puts pay to our comparing, to our trying to lower the bar than seeing again how high it is. Look at it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. None of us can clear that bar. And so stop. But before we give up, and I think, I think it just can't be done, see the depths of Christ's compassion. So far we've been trying to say that to get into heaven by our own efforts will always lead to failure and exhaustion. That's not the way to get eternal life. The good news is that it's not that all that Christianity has to say. That's only part of the problem. Here's the solution. See, we can't reach the level of the bar, but somebody has. See, as we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's nice to think of ourselves as this Good Samaritan. But I think as we read it honestly, we know we're that person lying half dead, attacked. The nature lying in the dirt, hoping, praying that somebody's going to rescue us. But actually being there on the ground, it isn't a bad place when you consider how this parable ends. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the Good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. Then we need to tread carefully because there's been many, many historical readings of this parable where they've taken every single detail and made it of spiritual significance. So the donkey stands for something, the inn must be the church, and on and on it goes. And actually that's not a good way to read the Bible at all. It intends to ignore the author's purpose or the context in which it's been written. But I still think the goodest Martin is a picture of Jesus because this week we've crossed into a whole new section of Luke's gospel. If you have a look back in chapter 9, verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. See, now Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem, so he's no longer in Galilee. And Luke is now telling Jesus he's on a journey to Jerusalem and all the ways reminding us of why Jesus is going there. He's going to die. And by dying, he's going to rescue his people. And so when Luke has Jesus tell a parable, which is all about people like Jesus who are in journeys to and from Jerusalem. This one includes a Samaritan. But even if you don't agree with me there, didn't Jesus always practice what he preached? And so he wouldn't have spoken about the Good Samaritan if he, he himself wasn't like the Good Samaritan. So this parable of the Good Samaritan becomes a parable of the gospel. You see, Jesus didn't just cross over racial barriers. He crossed over divine human barriers to come and be born in the flesh. He did a great risk and a great cost to himself, not just getting off a donkey on a dangerous road, but going to a cross. Not just the cost of two denarii, but the cost of his own blood, his own life. 
He lovingly picks us up, bandages us, treats us, and gives us enough to keep us going until we see him face to face in heaven. You see, he promises to return, and he's going to reimburse us wonderfully for every cost that we've had here on earth. See, that is what Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to achieve. But notice what it is that drove Jesus to the cross. I want you to look at his heart this morning. Look at verse 33. It says, But a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. That's what drew Jesus to the cross. His compassion. The word that we keep finding out about Jesus in our studies of Luke. And actually, it's one of the reasons why the Samaritan is a picture of Jesus, because it's such a Jesus-like response to suffering and helplessness, to have compassion. And we've actually seen that the word compassion means to be gutted, to feel it deep down in your guts. So that we, we might say that Jesus is gutted by human suffering. So Jesus' love and action, we see it here by him picking up the bandaging, the helping, the caring. But where do all those actions come from? They come from his compassionate heart. They come from his guts. Last week, I was speaking to my new colleague, Graham. Colleague Graham and I was chatting to him. And he was telling me that day that he was going to bury a stillborn baby, 26 weeks old. I was gutted for him. I was gutted for this poor family that I don't know. I wanted to do something for them. But all I could do was pray. Just think what Jesus feels as he looks at the brokenness of a stillborn child. The brokenness of our world. A broken you and a broken me. He is gutted. And if you want a picture of what Jesus is like when we suffer and sin, when we fail and we flail, look at the good Samaritan. Next time you're conscious of your sinning and your failure, don't think of Jesus as some horrible PE teacher who looks at you as you fail to clear the bar and despairs of you. Go look at him and see the good Samaritan. Picks you up pity and compassion bandages your wounds this is how the Puritan Richard Stibes, Stibbs put it when Christ saw people in misery his guts yearned within him the works of grace and mercy in Christ they come from his guts first whatever Christ did he did out of love grace and mercy indeed he did it inwardly from his very guts in this parable, Jesus is doing two things. He's showing that the bar of God's standards is so high we will never clear it. And we can't lower it either. And just as we are to drop in our shoulders in despair and we say, well, what am I supposed to do? He shows that underneath us is his own strong, caring and compassionate arms, ready to pick us up, ready to bandage us, bandage us up and take us back home. And his aim is that we stop striving our way to heaven. Stop trying in our strength to get there. 
but that we would collapse again into his arms, trust him in his finished work, say to him, I can't do this. I need you. Please save me, Lord Jesus. In fact, either side of this parable is a picture of that. So in verse 21, we have a picture of little children sitting in Jesus' lap. That's the way. That's the way to do it. And after the parable, we have the picture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from him. That's the way. Not striving to clear the bar, but coming to him, trusting him, listening to him, falling into his arms. And very quickly, there's one final application to this parable for Christians here. It's verse 37. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. This parable often gets taught as a moral example. And it's way more than a moral example, but it's no less. Because this is what living for God looks like. This is what it looks like to be a neighbour for all. Not just to be a neighbour to those we like. Not just to see need to feel angry about it and then do nothing about it. Not to love people in a general way, but a specific way. In a costly, compassionate, persistent way. As we follow Christ, let us ask for God's Spirit to stir us up and enable us to live this out. And we will feel. Of that I have no doubt. And as we do, let's pray for God's Spirit to help us to fall back into the arms of Christ. And see him as this good Samaritan. Let's look again at the compassionate heart of Christ on his way to Jerusalem as we look at this Good Samaritan this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to confess that we don't live this way. And we can't live this way. We bring to you our weakness and our sinfulness. And as we do, we praise you all the more for the Good Samaritan, the Lord Jesus. We praise you that he has done it all. And he continues to do it. And we pray that you would help us to fall again into his arms as we look again at his compassionate heart. And we pray that his spirit would help us to be a poor example of the good Samaritan to others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing this morning a well-known hymn as we respond to those wonderful words that we've just heard. Take my life and let it be. Thank you for listening to this Donnacony Parish podcast. We're happy for this teaching to be shared for the advancement of gospel work and to help make disciples. For information about Donnacony Parish, please check out our website, www.donnaclonyparish.com. C-L-O-N-E-Y-P-A-R-I-S-H dot co dot UK or find us on social media.